Good evening. How are you? Great. Great. Awesome. Lindsay's doing great. I'm glad to hear. Give it up for Lindsay. Amen. Um, I'm going to pray as we open this evening. Why don't you all pray with me? Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together. We do thank you for the communion of the saints, Lord. We thank you for the promise that where two or three are gathered, you are in our midst. We thank you that you are here. And Lord, ultimately, we're here not just to learn, but we're here for you. We're here to be ministered by you and get to know you, fellowship with you, as well as uh, with the saints. We ask, Lord, that you would speak through me tonight and, and Pastor Joe, that we would hear the voice of Jesus. We give him all the glory. And God's people said, Amen. All right, we want to thank you for coming tonight to our annual Foundations Conference. And our theme this year is the known... Or is it the unknown? Is it the known stranger or the unknown stranger? Well, guess what? They're the same thing. Because if they're not known, if they're known but a stranger, they're not really known, are they? So our theme is uh, hospitality, as we call it. And I want to talk to you tonight about the priority of hospitality. Looks like people are taking a break. Uh, tonight and getting refreshments. Uh, we will have a break after my talk. It will be brief. I'm excited to be here because Pastor Joe is here. Amen? He's my favorite. He is my favorite. It's going to be good. So what I'm going to do tonight is basically give an introduction to the topic we're discussing and that is hospitality tonight. My talk is called The Priority of Hospitality. First of all, what do we mean? Well, let me open, let's open the scripture. We're going to look at a number of texts. Uh, the text I want to open with tonight is Romans 12, in verse 13. If you have your Bible, you can open there. Uh, Romans chapter 12. And we'll start in verse 9. It says, Let love be, I'm reading the New King James, <clears throat> the one Paul used. <clears throat> um, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. The word abhor there means to hate or to loathe. It's, the, it's, it's a word which means I really don't like this a whole lot. Hate. Hate evil. Cling to what is good. Literally be glued to what is good. Be kindly affection to one another with brotherly love. In honor giving preference to one another not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints or taking part in the needs of the saints and being given to hospitality. Given to hospitality. So what do we mean by hospitality? This word hospitality in the Greek, the primary word is two Greek words, if you will. And it means to love the other or to love the stranger. To love the other or the stranger. There's my outline. It's coming up. It's philoxenia. Philos means love. Xenia means the stranger or the other. 
To be hospitable, then, simply means not to be kind to the people you know, that is, to be kind to your family or to be kind to your friends or to be kind to, to simply the, your, your uh, fellow church members that you're acquainted with. It means to be kind and open and, and warm and inviting to those that you do not know. Now, one of the reasons we cho- chose th- this title, The Known Stranger, is because the reality is everybody in this room doesn't know somebody in this room. Every Sunday morning, our churches gather all around the country and sit in sanctuaries with strangers. And what happens is people go to church, they have one or two friends, or a couple has one other couple or two other couples. They talk to those couples every week, and then they leave. Next week, they come back to talk to those couples and leave, and they come back, and that's what they do. And so they worship in an environment where they're surrounded by known strangers, really unknown because they're strangers. Well, uh, how, do we, how do we fix this problem? And it is a problem, and it's by hospitality, right? Hospitality means that we, we care about people that are outside our circle of concern. And there are three circles of concern, the self, the clique, and the family. We'll talk about those at a later date, but not tonight. So this is an attitude of affection for the stranger or the other. It means being friendly to those that we don't know. And if we are friendly, we'll greet them, right? We'll express an interest in them. As Philippians 2 states, we will not look at our own things. We will look at the things of others, the things of others. So this attitude of hospitality should be apparent uh, whenever the saints gather. If there's anybody in this room you do not know tonight, you should talk with them tonight. Greet them. Say hello. How are you? Who are you? That's the beginning of hospitality. So, in one sense, it's a very simple thing, but we need to understand, in my goal, in my brief talk tonight, before the awesome preacher Joe comes up, is to, to help us appreciate the, the importance of this simple virtue of hospitality. Why is it important? First of all, it's important because it is commanded by God. It is a command of God. Now, I know that the word command is not, is not very popular today, like the word sin or judgment or things of that nature. We don't like the word duty and things like that. We want to talk about opportunities, growth, excitement, and every Christian book this day has the word radical in it. You can't just have hospitality. You have to radical hospitality. <laughs> radical evangelism. Radical missions. I mean, just, just doing it isn't enough. The fact that God commands it isn't enough. We've got to spice it up. We've got to make it radical. Right? We do what we do because we're told to do it by God. It's really that simple. The Christian life is that simple. Now, I understand that when you hear the word command, you think, oh, legalism, ah. God's not legalistic. God tells us what to do because it's the best thing for us. Right? When God says, do this and don't do this, it's because that is the best thing for us. Now, I came to Jesus after uh, many, many years of hard living, much much drinking and drugs and parties and, and bad living. 
A lot of sin. And as the scripture says, the way of sinners is hard. It's true. The way of sinners is hard. But it is joy to the just to do justice. The path of the righteous is like the light of sun. It gets brighter and brighter and brighter. So when God says do something, it's not because God's a killjoy. It's because God's saying this way of living is the way to peace and love and joy and fulfillment and prosperity. My way is the way of blessing. Amen? So God gave us the Ten Commandments, not the Ten Suggestions. Right? So God tells us in His Word that we are to be hospitable to one another. The Bible is full of exhortations, commands, injunctions that are morally binding on the believer. It's our duty to obey them. In one sense, there's no trivial command because as Wesley said, there's no trivial sin. Right? Jesus said that if we give a cup of cold water to someone in the name of a disciple, we'll receive a reward. And that's a proverbial saying for the smallest act of kindness. If we'll do the smallest act of kindness, God will reward us. So God, first of all, commands us to be hospitable, but it's part of our calling, that's my second point, part of our calling as Christians. So not only does God tell us to be hospitable, it's, it's important because we, the church, we, God's people, are a people that should be eager for good works and a people that are known for our good works. Let's look at a couple of scriptures here. Well, we'll stay here. Here in Romans, first let me point out this in Romans 12, when it says here, um, distributing to the needs of the saints and given to hospitality. This word given is a very interesting word in the original because it can mean strive for, pursue, or even eagerly hunt. And some uh, classical authors use this term of, of a horse that was in full stride, straining as it was running. So, so not a passive virtue, you get it? Some virtues are passive. This is an active virtue. It's something you do, and not only do you do it, you do it aggressively and actively, and you strain to do it. Let's turn to Titus 2, and we'll come back in a moment to Romans. Go to Titus 2. Paul says in uh, 2.11, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all, or to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? Who gave himself for us that we might, he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, or the King James says, a peculiar people. I love that. A unique people. Zealous for good works. Zealous for good works. And as he goes on in Titus, Paul tells them here in 3, uh, 
chapter 8, 3, 8. This is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. One of the, the divine goals in our salvation is that God would have a unique people. Unique means different from the world. Set apart. Special. A unique people, a chosen people, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Therefore, Jesus said to the church, you, meaning you in this room, you are the light of the world, you are the salt of the earth. Let your light so shine. How do you let your light shine before men? That they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. As we, as we learned recently when we were talking about faith and the relationship between works and faith, no one can see your faith apart from your works. Now you can say you believe in Jesus, but how would anybody know if your faith is real? They don't know by what you say. They know by how you live. Right? Yep. That's why Paul says to Titus, these things are good for men. Not only does it benefit men, it witnesses to men. So as we, as we do good to others, as we are hospitable to others, it is an evidence of our faith. Yes, it ministers to others, which is important, but it's a testimony that we are a, a different people. Jesus said to his disciples right before he was crucified that the badge of discipleship was our love for one another. He says, by this will men know, John 13, by this will men know that you are my disciples, by your love for one another, not by anything else. He didn't say by your church building, by your pews, by your music, by your love for one another. That would be the mark of the church. So God's calling on his people is to be a special, unique people who are eager for good works. Thirdly, the message of God. Hospitality is a means of evangelism or proclamation. What is it that we preach by our good works and by our hospitality? What is the message of hospitality? There are at least two things. The first thing is this. It is the priority of the human person. In other words, we proclaim people matter. People matter. You know, a lot of people I know who work in the corporate world complain that the corporation doesn't care about them. The corporation's about the machine, you know what I mean? It's about the corporation. And you're just a clog in the machine. Do a good job, great. If you don't, maybe you get fired. Maybe, maybe you'll get your retirement, maybe you won't. It's about the machine. And you're just a number on a page. Well, you know, in churches, people can feel that way too. It the issue becomes the machine, the institution. But true hospitality says what's important is the person, the individual. So when we are hospitable, 
When we greet people or embrace people, we are saying, you matter. When we share our resources with others, we are saying, you matter. When we open our homes to others, we're saying, you matter. So hospitality preaches. It it incarnates a message that men and women are valuable because they're made in the image of God. Amen? Hospitality preaches that men and women are of more value than all the world. More value than the resources we spend on them. More valuable than the the time and energy we spend on them. So when we're hospitable, we preach the value of the person, but secondly, we preach the love of God. The priority of divine love. By doing good to others, we show that not only that we love them, but more importantly, that God loves them. To put it more accurately, we love them because God loves them. By showing people the love of God, we are proclaiming the gospel. We're preaching not only with our lips, we're preaching with our lives. And we have to understand this as the people of God. We cannot separate the church's testimony from the Savior's message. Let me say it again. We cannot separate the church's testimony from the Savior's message. I can't tell you how many times I've talked to people about Christ, and they always bring up issues of, well, what about the Inquisition? And what about when the church did this? And what about the church did that? So the church becomes a stumbling block to the gospel. But that's exactly what Paul accused the Jews of. He says to the Jews, you have caused the Gentiles to blaspheme God by how you lived. So our hospitality incarnates the message of God's love for the person. Words and deeds are inseparable. To say to someone, God loves you, and not to care for them in a practical way, not to greet them, to embrace them, to love them, to show an interest in them, is is to contradict the gospel by one's actions. Love for God leads to love for man. That's really the point of James 2. The credibility of the gospel hinges on whether the church will incarnate the gospel by deeds of love. Deeds of love meaning practical expressions of compassion, kindness, and hospitality because love is the mark of discipleship. My last point, hospitality is important because it was modeled by God himself. Ephesians chapter 5, if you want to turn there, Paul says in verse 1, Therefore, be imitators of God. Be imitators of God. Do what God did as dear children. And walk in love as Christ also loved us and has given himself, given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. The gospel message is a story of divine love reaching out to the outcast and the stranger. Once Adam sinned, he was alienated from God. 
and he hid. Yet God sought him out. Indeed, the history of the world is a record of God seeking out those who are aliens, seeking out those who are his enemies, inviting them to a supper, and then receiving them into his family. Look at Luke 14, if you will. And we're going to come back to Ephesians in a moment. But Luke 14, Jesus tells really two parables here about hospitality. And they're really about the gospel. In verse 7, So he told a parable to those who were invited, notice that word invited, when he noted how they chose the best seats. Now, this is taking place in the, in the context of Jesus was invited to someone's house. It says in 14.1, now it happened as he went into the house of one of the rulers. So he's in a home of someone who invited people over. And here's what he says in verse 8, when you are invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who invited you and him come and say to you, uh, give place to this man. That you begin, and you begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go and sit down in the lowest place, so that when he who invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, go up higher. Then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. In other words, the problem here is that people wanted the best seats and they wanted recognition, right? They wanted to be at the special table. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. But this is, this is the, the kicker right here. Then he said to them, to him who invited him, when you give a dinner or a supper, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because you cannot re- they cannot repay you. For you shall be repaid in the resurrection of the just. In other words, invite the outcast. Invite the stranger. Invite the other. Then he tells another parable. Now when one of those who sat at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then he said to him, A certain man, when he gave a great supper and invited many. Here's another story about a gap, you know, food and meal and inviting people, and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, come, for all things are now ready. But they all with one accord began to make excuse. The first said to him, I bought a piece of ground and I must go and see it. I ask you, have me excused. Another said, I, have, I bought five yoke of oxen. I'm going to test them. I ask to have me excused. Still another said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and reported these things to his master. Then his master of the house, being angry, said to the servants, Go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind. And the servant said, Master, it is done as you commanded. Still there's room. Then the master said to the servant, go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. 
For I say to you that none of those men who are invited shall taste of my supper. We see here the heart of God so wide, amen? So wide, he wanted his feast filled. He invites the Jews, they reject him, they made excuses. So then he begins to invite the, the Gentiles, and, and Jesus said, go to Jerusalem, then uh, Judea, then Samaria, then the uttermost parts of the world. And that, this is what this parable is about, is going out. Invite, invite, invite to God's supper. Amen? One more text and then I'll close. In Ephesians 2, this is a text about those of us that know the Lord, those of us who are saved, those of us who are in God's family. In Ephesians chapter 2, in verses 1 through 10, we're told about, uh, Paul talks about our salvation, that we're saved by grace through faith, not of works. Amen? It's all of grace. But then he addresses the, the issue of God's family. And he says in verse 11, Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncir uncircumcision by those called the circumcision, meaning Jews made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of the promise, having no hope without God in the world. This is, this is a written to us, the Gentiles. We were aliens. We were strangers. We were foreigners to God's covenant. Amen? But now, verse 13, in Christ Jesus... Those who were far away, that was us, have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. For he himself is our peace, who's made both, meaning Jew and Gentile, one, and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances. So, so as to create in himself one new man, that's the church from the two, Jew and Gentile, in one new man, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and he preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. And through him we both, Jew and Gentile, have access by one spirit to the Father. Now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Amen. The gospel message is a message of God taking aliens and foreigners who were far away, and through the work of Christ, they went from being dead to being alive. And then they went from being far to being near. And then they went from being strangers to being family. That's the gospel message. That's the message that we incarnate with hospitality. We take the stranger and the other and we say, come in to the family of God. Amen. Let's stand together and pray. Lord, we thank you that we are saved by your hospitality. 
And we thank you that we are saved by your love for the stranger. And we thank you that you've called us to be imitators of you, to do as you did. And I pray, Lord, that as a result of this weekend, we, your people, would truly be imitators of God. That we would be a unique people because our lives are marked by grace and warmth and hospitality and love for the other. We thank you, Lord, that you've given us your church, not only your word to guide us, but your spirit to empower us. And anything you call us to be, you have empowered us to be. And we thank you, God, for the high calling that we have in Christ Jesus. And we pray, Lord, that as a result of all that we learned this weekend and all that we, we live out in our lives, ultimately, that Jesus would be glorified. And we pray in his name. Amen.